it's the greatest. It's the greatest quest of It's the greatest quest of all time. 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 Okay. Hello to everyone. Hi again. Hi to all of my listeners. And you are tuning in to World Conspiracy Talk Show and Conspiracy Radio Open Cast Box with your host, Andrew. And today we have a lot of information, a lot of interesting things I think people might find interesting. And you know, I think this episode might be a really, really interesting and intriguing episode. All part of world conspiracy, globalism order. And at first notice, we will start with NASA. Okay, when we get started with NASA, then I'll give you a couple of rundown and a couple of run-ups and a couple of loopholes and a couple of things we have missed. So, okay. So don't forget to follow me. So every time I go live, you can go live too. Please give me a like, a comment, something, you know, thing. Go subscribe. Yeah, you are listening to World Conspiracy Talk Show and Conspiracy Radio in Class Box. So, okay, with no further delay, we get things started with NASA and World Conspiracy. Astronomers are combing the heavens for a new... It's the greatest quest. It's the greatest quest of all time. Astronomers are combing the heavens for a new world. Not just any planet, but a world like our own, teeming with life. Radical technologies are about to change the game. If they succeed, Planet Hunters will bag the ultimate prize. A discovery so profound, it will transform human destiny. On board this rocket is the start of one of mankind's greatest quests. 
it is the first attempt to answer once and for all the question, is there anyone else out there? And if they succeed, it's the greatest quest of all time. Astronomers are combing the heavens for a new world. Not just any planet, but a world like our own, teeming with life. Radical technologies are about to change the game. If they succeed, planet hunters will bag the ultimate prize. A discovery so profound, it will transform human destiny. On board this rocket is the start of one of mankind's greatest quests. It is the first attempt to answer once and for all the question, is there anyone else out there? The plan is to search the galaxy for rocky worlds that can support life. The ultimate goal is to find a planet like our own, like our own Earth. 2006. France is the first nation to reach for that goal with a mission called Corot. Corot's pioneering is the first space telescope to spend significant amounts of time planet hunting. The French plan to launch Corot from Russia's Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. Rockets have flown from here for over 50 years. Back in Paris, Corot team member Francois Fressin is worried. The launch is scheduled for the end of December. Temperatures are extremely cold, around minus 20 degrees Celsius. Freezing temperatures make rocket parts brittle. A fact learned the hard way by NASA. We were all raised with the memory of the Challenger accident. Each component was carefully studied on the ground. We were acutely aware of the risk of failure in flight. The rocket releases Corot 513 miles above the Earth. With the challenges of the launch over, Corot still faces a daunting task. Finding the next Earth in a sky full of stars. Over a decade earlier, a different spacecraft revealed why. In 1990, Voyager 1 created a portrait of our entire solar system. The star dominating this photo is the Sun. Roughly a million times bigger and some 10 billion times brighter than our planet. 
we are lost in its glare. Adjust for the brightness of the sun, and this tiny blue smudge appears. Earth, as seen from the edge of our solar system, four billion miles away. Finding our tiny planet in the burning glare of the sun is like trying to find the license plate of a car with its headlights on. But Corot introduces a powerful piece of technology. It combines four CCD detectors with an 11-inch aperture. Two of the four are dedicated to finding planets by observing transits. A transit occurs when an object passes in front of one of the many stars being observed by Koro, thus dimming the light from the star. But other things can mimic a transit. Like sunspots, they cause a star's brightness to dim, but they're erratic and temporary. If a star dims at regular intervals, the Koro team will know they've found the planet. Expectations are high. With a vantage point above Earth, Corot has an unsurpassed view, but that view comes with risk. Radioactive particles from the sun are funneled by Earth's magnetic fields to create the aurora borealis. Beautiful as these lights can be, they are to any spacecraft orbiting Earth. But that's not the only threat. There is danger. Large debris flying in low orbit can collide with Corot's orbital speed is almost 17,000 miles per hour. Contact with any debris could be lethal. That puts Corot in a dangerous game of orbital roulette, where a sudden impact could end the mission at any time. For now, Corot dodges the bullets, and France has the skies all to itself. But the race to be first to find the next Earth is about to heat up. 2009. At the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, a Delta II rocket rolls out to pad 17B. Like a space-age pit crew, teams of engineers adjust and readjust every working part. To launch its payload, the rocket will burn through 10,000 gallons of fuel in the first four minutes and will race from zero to Mach 1 in 35 seconds. On board is the culmination of a scientific revolution some 20 years in the making. The Kepler Space Telescope, the latest achievement of American spaceflight designed for one purpose, finding the next Earth. But it is not without risk. Just two weeks earlier, 
something goes wrong. In all stations, uh, this is the NLM on countdown. Uh, it appears we've had a contingency with the OCO mission. Please enact the mission. Uh, the nose cone shielding the satellite fails to come off. The mission is a total loss. The nose cone around Kepler is a similar design. A pre-flight inspection checks out okay, but nerves are raw. So, for all of my listeners who just join in and who are listening, who are curious about what this whole tape is about, this is all about a space race war where everyone is fighting a space war to find the next planet. So as you continue listening, you will pick up the sense, then we will show you a few loopholes and tricks. We're putting this instrument that we've spent a large portion of our careers thinking about designing, planning, building, fine-tuning, engineering, all of that. And now you're taking that spacecraft and you're putting it on a, a tower of explosives and sending it out into space. 90 light years away in the constellation of Monoceros. An object like nothing. So, okay, there you are the first instance, and I'm going to replay it. 449 light years away. Okay, I'm going to replay it, and then I'll break it down smaller for you. 490 light years away in the constellation of Monoceros. So you got it, 490 light years away. Let me correct it, 490 light years away. 
Perot has hit the jackpot. 490 light years away in the constellation of Monoceros. An object like nothing ever seen before. Goro has found what may truly be considered the first rocky planet outside the solar system. For the first time ever, a primary goal has been reached. A world made of the same rocky materials as Earth has been found. The new planet is designated Kuro 7b. So, you had it, you heard it. The new planet, the new crowd, what NASA want to call it. First thing first, I have a first question about this. And I have a serious issue with it. And you have to listen. Sometimes people speak things, you have to listen keenly so you can pick out sense. Okay? First thing. This planet is 490 light years away. I'm going to break it down for all of my listeners. Hi, hello to all of my listeners listening. One light year is 4.4 year. One light year. And I'm going to play the tape to validate what I'm saying. So one point. So one light year is 4.4 years, okay? This planet is 490 light years away. So two light year, roughly I would check two light year as probably eight year, I'd call it nine. I square off at nine. Two more light years to that, that will be four. Two nines, 18. Two more make six light year out of the 490. That would be bring it to probably 18 years. And if you do the maths, you add six more light years to it. That's probably like, so roughly checking 400 and light and 90 light years would be approximately probably 200 and odd years or 300 years or more. If as according to what they teach us, one light year is 4.4 years in our time. That's galaxy time. How is this possible for a spacecraft or a rocket to travel for actually 200 years, if not more, 300 years? How is it people going to survive on that aircraft for so long? The next issue is, we does not possess that technology. How does your satellite reach into 490 years so that you can detect that to tell it to us when one light year is actually 4.4 years? So in order for that satellite to reach so far, that satellite would actually do roughly checking probably 300 years, if not more, orbiting, out in orbit, sailing. 
So far, I don't think NASA nor the Earth possess that technology, have enough fuel to do that much less to go that far. And I don't think no telescope they have in America and nowhere in the world can detect so far. This just proves to show you that this is all part of a world conspiracy and world conspiracy get deeper. They want us to believe what they want us to believe. They want us to think what they want us to think. They have our mind wrapped up in captive. These things are not hidden far. They are right in the spotlight in public media. But sometimes we does not pay attention or listen to when these guys speak. Uh, you know people say oh these guys are professors big degrees these guys went to harvard Yale. so the ordinary man like me and like the ordinary people don't count rich that is stupidness basically so this is how these guys brainwash the world control the world the deep state the elite now they are sending us in space to search for a new planet. I don't see anything wrong with the planet where I live on. It's just the deep state, the elite world, globalists, conspirators trying to mess up everything for everyone. I don't see nothing wrong with this earth. I ain't leaving to go search for no earth. 490 light years away and one light years is 4.4 year and if you doubt me listen to this I, I i will prove it to you light is fast but just how fast Let's imagine a blip of light leaving the sun right now. And let's see how far it gets into our solar system as we dig into this lesson. So what's the subject? Well, we're going to define the light year and give it some perspective. The light year is the basic unit that astronomers use to measure the vast distances in space. Here we go. A light year is the distance light travels in one year. It's far. Why? Because light travels so fast. One light year equals about 5.9 trillion miles or 9.5 trillion kilometers. That's not million nor billion. I'm telling you trillion, which is a million million. Also very key. A light year is a unit of distance, not time. A light year is a unit of distance, even though it uses the word year. Okay, so how's our blip of light doing? Wow, look at that. It left only 60 seconds ago, and it's already a third of the way to Mercury. This distance we might call a light minute, which is the distance light travels in one minute. Pretty far on a human scale, but quite small compared to the size of our solar system. I'll go ahead and tell you, Earth is about eight light minutes from the sun traveling at about 300,000 kilometers per second, 
It takes light from the sun about eight minutes to reach us. So when you look at the sun, you're seeing the sun as it was eight minutes ago. If the sun suddenly went dark, we wouldn't know it until eight minutes later. The farthest planet from the sun, Neptune, is about 249 light minutes from the sun. So light minutes is provincial scale of our solar system. Outside our solar system, the distances are far more vast. For example, the next closest star system to us, Alpha Centauri, is about 2.5 million light minutes away. So rather than talking about, it's more convenient to talk about how far light travels in one year. The distance to the Alpha Centauri system in light years, that's about 4.4. It takes light from our sun about 4.4 years to reach Alpha Centauri. Here's how far all the stars within the Big Dipper are from us. So it's just one more example of the deep state elite world conspiracy. So one liar, literally they are telling us, is 4.4 years. So how would and how can NASA show us a planet that is 490 light years away? Well, if I'm an idiot or I'm, or I doesn't have sense, I think I will leave that maths for the listeners or someone else who is well good at maths to do that maths for me. Basically, I don't think no one on that ship would make it, even after the journey. Basically, we doesn't have enough fuel to carry us that long. You'll have to think about how people on that rocket would eat, drink. There's no rocket that could store food, water, fuel for actually 300 years or more still traveling. This is all part of a fiction, make-believe computer stimulation that NASA is trying to put, us, put down us, put down our throat, put in our brains, all backed by the elite, the deep state, the deep state. It's all part of a world conspiracy plot. For the first time ever, a primary goal has been reached. A world made of the same rocky materials as Earth has been found. The new planet is designated Crow-7b. And for the planet hunters, it may be the first of a new kind of world. We call these planets super-Earths. You can think of them as big, hefty versions of our own planet with masses that range from maybe twice as big as the Earth up to about 10 times the mass of our Earth. But the similarities end there. Earth takes 365 days to orbit the Sun, quite unlike Kuro-7b. Because on Kuro-7b lasts only 20 hours, so the conditions must be absolutely different from what we know here on Earth. Which means Kuro-7b is close to a star. 
too close. Surface temperature B is close to its star. The hours, so the conditions must be absolutely different from what we know here on Earth. So, so, there you add it again. This is the next issue and the next problem that NASA keep putting themselves in. All the planets they told us out there in the galaxy, none has water where they can independently verify. None have oxygen like Earth where we can breathe without mass and suit. Everyone they find and said this is the one, either it's too close to the sun and the star, like this one, ritual too hot, or it is too far from the sun, which it is too cold. This is just part of world conspiracy plot. We catch them red-handed, they pull out the other hand with the other rabbit out of the hat. Okay, so continue listening. Which means Crow 7B is close to a star. Too close. Surface temperatures average 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit. Volcanoes rule this tortured landscape. Their plumes cross the sky, raining pumice hot lava. Giant chasms rip through the ground. Crow 7b is the first rocky planet ever discovered around another star, but it is a supersized monster, a vision of hell, and not the next Earth. Okay. There it goes again. Corona BRD, what's, whatsoever NASA want to call it. First issue is Nothing that NASA put out in this documentary can carry water. I just use it to play for the people to hear and see the information that they flash across our eyes to fool us. The first thing, NASA does not have a satellite that can go 490 light years away. Okay? All right, we continue. Could there be another way to search the galaxy? Astronomers like John Johnson think so. His quest begins in an unexpected place, inside a rainbow. This is the spectrum of a star, just like our sun. And what we're seeing is the light from that star split up into its constituent colors. But the rainbow is not perfect. Stretch it wide enough, and gaps appear in the colors. Johnson hunts for planets by tracking the subtle shifting of these gaps. The locations of these lines does subtly change over time if the star is moving, and that's because the light from the star will be Doppler shifted as it moves towards us and then away from us. We live with Doppler shifts every day here on Earth. When an ambulance goes by, it first sounds very high pitched, and as it passes, you know, goes away, it's woo, woo, woo. 
goes away. And so we're seeing the same thing from the light emitted from the star. It gets compressed and higher pitched and then stretched and lower pitched as it's being moved towards and away from us. But what could cause a giant star to move? And what would cause a star to do that is an orbiting planet. The planet tugs on the star, and the, and the planet will actually cause the star to accelerate periodically. But the tiny gaps in the spectrum can also reveal the chemical makeup of a star, and they can do the same for a planet. This group of black lines comes from our own atmosphere. It is the chemical signature of Earth itself, a planet filled with life. Johnson dreams that one day he will be the first to find the sequence around the rubber star. That little regular sequence of black lines on a spectrum, that's the Nobel Prize material right there. Astronomers from the Lick Observatory are tracking what they believe will bring them that Nobel Prize. The wobbles of a star some 20 light years away in the constellation of Libra. Like John Johnson, planet hunter Steve Vogt uses the rainbow spectrum to see the wobbles. The star is from that Nobel Prize. The wobbles of a star some 20 light years away in the constellation of Libra. Okay. They, they found a next one in the constellation of Libra. 20 light years away. One light year, 4.4 year. Two light year, I would put it roughly almost nine. I write it off our near nine. So two more light years, which is four, would be 80. Okay? Take four more out of that 20, that's 18 again. I think we have 36. Okay? And that's just eight light years out of the 20 light years. That's 36 years. So take away eight more years. That's same. 32, 32, that's 60. Yeah? Six, yeah, 33, 33, that's 60. The 20 light years still have four years left. Do you see the amount of fuel, food, and traveling people would have to do? Can't you see their telescope ain't picking up anything? These guys build their satellites and their international space base for one purpose, and one purpose that is for only to monitor we the people on Earth. And next, for total world dominance and control to spy on enemies people who are not friendly with them and many other things and keep track of weathers and earthquake nothing else 
these guys don't have no equipment to go nowhere ain't searching for no aliens because there ain't any they are the aliens these guys have just been manipulating us taking us for a joyride taking us for a fool brainwash education us from childbirth till now all part of a world conspiracy deep state elite yeah they their international space base sad to say it i know many like nasa and the propaganda and many might say oh what andrew is saying these guys are professors scientists doctorate these guys are scholars harvard cambridge and you know but these guys messed up slip up big time as they always do you see when these guys speak you have to listen carefully to see the purpose of their mission one purpose of their mission is to blindfold the eyes of the people or are you going to tell the people about a planet 490 light years away showing us image rich you have no satellite that can go so far rich bring me back to a next issue many of us missed the far these guys sail out i mean the astronauts the far they sail out go to orbit they have a sun shield screen barrier to go through probably more than one the first one they have to go through electrical magnetic pulse rail of the sun disable all electronics ship engine navigation everything the second thing barrier they would have to go through it is the gas that the sun gives off which literally stripped down to the old ship which is made of iron so how will man survive that flight it's all part of a world conspiracy plot if you doubt me you can check it out do your own research your own homework electrical electronic magnetic pulps kill all engines all electronics sometime when these people speak we have to listen carefully very carefully these people make believe evidence make believe instance these people impose on us what they want us to think and believe these guys didn't went to no moon 
It is all part of a computer stimulation trick. It is all part of the world conspiracy plot. And you heard it here first on World Conspiracy Talk Show on the Conspiracy Radio and CastBox. Next issue, AI, robots, artificial intelligence, netherworld conspiracy. And if you doubt, just pay attention to this tape. Listen carefully. Regulation might be a very small part of governance. Some people here. So I'm going to be talking about this cluster of uh, sort of um, words that we inquire about strategy, policy, governance. Sometimes we say cooperation. Uh, but I want to first explain my preferred term, which is governance. Uh, some people, when they hear governance, they think regulation. Governance is not just regulation. In fact, regulation might be a very small part of governance. Some people hear, when they hear global governance, they think world government. Uh, that is also not, uh, does not follow. Rather, the term governance just refers to the whole mess of processes by which decisions are made. Uh, and so that includes laws, regulations, policies, but also institutions and norms. <clears throat> so we can begin, begin provocatively uh, with what we might call one theory of uh, AI-enabled governance. Uh, which is from Vladimir Putin. Whoever leads an AI will rule the world. All right, so this is, if you will, a theory of governance because it says how do So there goes another example of world conspiracy. Here the brother man said, Vladimir Putin mentioned it, which it was true. Whoever control AI will rule the world. So you see, it goes just to show you the deep connection with the deep state, the elite. It's all part of a world conspiracy plot. Decisions will be regulations, policies, but also institutions and norms. <clears throat> so we can begin, begin provocatively uh, with what we might call one theory of uh, AI-enabled governance, uh, which is from Vladimir Putin. Whoever leads an AI will rule the world. Right, so this is, if you will, a theory of governance because it says how decisions will be made under an AI, uh, which is from Vladimir Putin. Whoever leads an AI will rule the world. Right, so this is, if you will, a theory of governance because it says how decisions will be made under an AI-enabled uh, future. Um, now, uh, before proceeding, it's worth remarking that Putin was not staring ominously into the camera when he said it. Um, he was, in fact, encouraging Russian school children to do their science projects on robotics and other topics. But this quote really did resonate around the world because I think it tapped into a fear uh, that many people have um, that the sort of governance of all things of the world uh, could be dramatically changed by AI, that power could shift, a uh, world order could change. And um, so that's why the question of the governance of AI, how decisions about AI will be made are so important. This leads to the normative definition, which is that we don't just wanna think about what the processes are, we want good processes. 
And by good, we mean something like effective, legitimate, inclusive, adaptive. So I'm going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, it will not feel um, like I've covered the whole space, and that's because I will have not done so. And the reason uh, that that is the case is because this problem is really hard. The governance of AI will not be easy. Uh, we can see this by thinking about the nature of AI as a general purpose technology, like electricity, the printing press, the combustion engine. Uh, these general purpose technologies transform society, the economy, military in a deep fundamental way that's often hard to anticipate and very hard to govern. Um, so on the right hand side, I list some of the properties that are plausibly the case with AI. And each of these makes it difficult to govern. The fact that the, the benefits and the harms are so diffuse makes it hard for political groups to mobilize together to address those harms and to realize those benefits. The great uncertainty we have about what kinds of capabilities are coming and what the implications of those capabilities will be makes it, again, very hard to build uh, appropriate norms and regulations around it, and so on with the rest of these uh, properties. To try to make sense of this at the Center for Governance of AI at the Future of Humanity Institute, we have been uh, beginning work on a whole host of questions. And part of that work has led to this uh, research agenda, where we try to articulate uh, the main questions and, and tractable ways into the problem. Uh, and this research agenda breaks the space up into four categories the technical landscape, politics, ideal governance, and then policy. These four categories uh, share a mapping with the conference organization. So ideal governance is like the destination, right? It's where we want to get to. If we could all sit around the table and discuss calmly and rationally, what would we come up with? Politics refers to uh, you know, the fact that it won't be a calm, rational, patient conversation around the table. Uh, there will be interest groups. There will be misunderstandings. There will be coalitions. Uh, there will be institutions with voting rules of different kinds, and that will shape what world we find ourselves in. So we want to understand those political dynamics. The technical landscape refers to what are the sort of technical constraints and possibilities uh, made possible by AI and other um, technologies. Uh, and then finally, policy refers to the lessons we draw from this for what we should be doing tomorrow. What kinds of near-term steps can we take to steer us towards beneficial AI or AGI? Um, an analogy might help. Suppose we were founding a city. Uh, the technical landscape is the geographic landscape and perhaps the relative price of steel and aluminum and uh, concrete. The politics is, again, the interest groups, the values of, of different parties, the coalitions, the voting rules. Ideal governance are the blueprints we come together and articulate for what the city could look like. And then policy is what we're going to do tomorrow to make that happen. I want to begin by distinguishing between two kinds of conservatism uh, that I think scientists especially uh, it's helpful to distinguish for them. Uh, and I'll illustrate that with a quote from Leo Zillard, uh, the inventor of the neutron chain reaction. From the very beginning, the line was drawn. Fermi thought that the conservative thing was to play down his 10% possibility that a nuclear chain reaction may happen, while Zillard thought the conservative thing was to assume that it would happen and take all the necessary precautions. So as scientists, we don't want to make claims, statements that we can't support right, with theory and evidence. And that's a good virtue for scientific discourse. But for policymakers, we want to take low probability, high impact possibilities seriously. Because if we don't, some of them will be realized and we won't be prepared. And so it's good to separate, while as scientists, we want to be uh, you know, calm possibilities seriously. Because if we don't, some of them will be realized and we won't be prepared. And so it's good to separate options. So as scientists, we don't want to make claims, statements that we can't support. Right, with theory and evidence. And that's a good virtue for scientific discourse. But for policymakers, we want to take low probability, high impact possibilities seriously. Because if we don't, 
some of them will be realized and we won't be prepared. And so it's good to separate while as scientists, we want to be uh, you know, calm and epistemically grounded when thinking about extreme possibilities from AI. As policymakers, we want to allow ourselves uh, the imagination to think what could come in five, 10, 15 years. So there you have a perfect example. The guy is a scientist and he's trying very hard, very, very hard, I say, to separating scientists from lawmakers. Wouldn't you say it's so ironic that the two of them are working together, but they are trying to separate all part of a world conspiracy plot? Next up, it is my honor to introduce Professor Alan Defoe. He is an assistant professor of political science at Yale University and a research associate at the Future of Humanity Institute. Okay, there you add it. One more of these professors from Yale University. I think my listeners should pay a key attention to what this professor is saying. At Oxford, where he is involved in building the AI politics and politics. He also went to Oxford, key individual who helped shape the policy of AI, meaning robots, artificial intelligence, so I think we should pay a key ear and a key ear to what this guy has to say. Aussie Group. His research seeks to understand the causes of world peace and stability. Specifically, he has examined the causes of the liberal peace and the role of reputation and honor as motives for war. Along the way, he has developed methodological tools and approaches to enable more transparent, credible causal inference. More recently, he has focused on artificial intelligence grand strategy, which he believes poses existential challenges and also opportunities, and, and which requires us to clearly perceive the emerging strategic landscape in order to help humanity navigate safely through it. And he's also a scientist. So pay attention, Keeley, to what this guy has to say. To discuss his work on AI and international politics, please welcome Professor Alan Defoe. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Nathan. Uh, so I will actually start by talking about war, and then we'll get to AI, uh, because I think there's some lessons for effective altruism. Uh, so war is generally understood to be a bad thing. It kills people, it maims them, destroys communities, ecosystems, uh, and is often harmful to economies. Uh, there's some, we want to add an asterisk to that, uh, because in the long run, uh, war has had dynamic uh, benefits. Um, but in the current world, uh, war is um, likely a net uh, negative that we would want to avoid. So if we were going to start a research uh, group uh, studying the causes of war for the purposes of reducing it, uh, we might ask ourselves, well, what kinds of war should we study? There are many kinds of this is another example. He can, he can hardly find a word 
to pronounce for war. My brother, war is ugly. War is not nice. This is how these guys is out of tune with the reality and the realistic of what's going on into the world. All locked up inside their labs with their gadgets. All part of a world conspiracy. Wars that have different causes and some are worse than others. Uh, so one <clears throat> classification that we might employ is to bin wars in terms of how many people they kill. There's some wars that kill only 1,000 to 10,000, some that kill 100,000 to a million. Uh, and so the x-axis here are the bins uh, of um, the fatality, the battle deaths and wars. <clears throat> and the y-axis is the fraction of wars of those kinds. Uh, so an instinct we might have is, is to say, well, let's study the wars that are most common, right? those on the, the first bin. These are the wars that are happening today in Syria, civil wars. Uh, um, availability bias would suggest that those are the wars we should worry about. Some of my colleagues uh, have argued that great power war, the big wars, world wars, are a thing of the past. Right? The liberal peace, democracy, capitalism, uh, nuclear weapons have all re uh, rendered great power war obsolete. Um, we're not going to have them again. The probability is too low. But as effective altruists, we know that you can't just kind of round a small number down to zero, or you don't want to do that. You want to uh, really try to uh, think carefully about the expected uh, value of different kinds of uh, actions. Uh, and so it's important that even though those probabilities uh, of a war of, say, a, a million, a, a 10 million, 100 million, or a billion is very small, uh, it's not zero. Um, if we look at the past 70 years of history, World War II stands out as the source of most of the battle deaths uh, that have been experienced. Uh, so that would suggest if fatalities is a good enough proxy for uh, whatever metric of importance you have, that we first really want to make sure we understand World War II and the kinds of wars uh, that are like it, that are likely to kill so many people. We can zoom out more, and World War I uh, comes out of the sort of froth of civil wars. Uh, and really, those two wars loom above everything else as the, um, the thing we uh, want to first explain, at least if we're prioritizing importance. We can see this in this graph, uh, which again has these bins of size of violent quarrels. Now we're going all the way down to homicides. Uh, and we see that the world wars, the 10 million bin on the right, uh, contains again most of the deaths in violent quarrels. Uh, so that again would suggest that it's really important that we understand these big wars. But of course, the next war need not limit itself to 99 uh, million deaths. There could be a war that kills hundreds of millions, or even billions, uh, or even 6.5 billion. Uh, now the problem, uh, empirically, is that we don't have those wars in the data set, so we, we don't know how to estimate non-parametrically uh, the expected value uh, in those. We can try to extrapolate uh, from what's very close to a power law distribution. And pretty much no matter how we do it, unless we're extremely, extremely conservative, we get a distribution that looks like this, which says that most of the harm from war comes from the wars that kill uh, a billion people or more. Of course, we haven't had those wars, uh, but nevertheless, this follows from uh, the reasoning. Uh, but even still, we go further. Um, the loss from a war that kills 6.5 billion is not just those 6.5 billion people that die, the, the currently existing people. It's also all future people, right? And this is when where the idea of existential risk and that sort of existential value comes in. We have to ask ourselves, what is the value of the future, right? How much worth do we give to future human lives? Uh, there's many ways you can answer that question, and, and then you want to discount in various ways for um, model uncertainty and, and different things. Uh, 
Well, one thing that drives concern with existential risk, which uh, I'm concerned with and the Future of Humanity Institute is concerned with, is that there's so much potential in the future. There are so many potential lives that could be lived that anything that cuts that off uh, has tremendous disvalue. And so one estimate would put it at, and this is quite a conservative estimate, if there's only a billion people living on Earth and they continue living in a sustainable way for a billion years, which is doable as long as we don't uh, muck it up, uh, that gives you 10,000 trillion lives, which is a lot. <laughs> so there you are it. And I know a lot of things might slip past my listeners just a while ago. They are trying to show you literally that the world is overpopulated because there is just amount of a billion this that resources and if we use it according to yeah 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 and hey 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 but these guys still ain't speaking the truth they are the one who have all the resources all the money sitting on billions of dollars yeah but there is no money no food no resources it's all part of a world conspiracy deep state elite plan this is how their modern day coronavirus and other virus come into play i said i wouldn't go corona today but i have to peek even a little through the glasses these things make and created in order for they to carry out their new world order the world conspiracy they would have to create a world pandemic and terror plot tied together the reason why to get the people to give up their rights I've seen a program where they show you some artificial AI skin thing they built for sick people, like some microchip thing in it. They use it in the name of health to say they can stay down by the hospital and pick up an old man or an old lady in his house having heart problem, respirators or whatever, or what sickness, stroke, anything. So all these plans and these terror and world pandemic pandemic is just to get the people to give away their right so they can implement their mark of the beast plan. If you doubt me, check Bill Gates. Check Bill Gates one of the world richest if not the world richest just check bill gates yeah in this new plan this guy is the god he's their messiah just check bill gates Put your faith in Bill Gates with the new vaccine. Put your trust in Bill Gates with the new phone apps. The guy built a phone apps, a phone apps. 
Bluetooth apps that could check everyone in the world I come in communicate with I do is all these things just coincident check Bill Gates he has the cure he has the Bluetooth that billions of us in the world if not more should put our trust in i don't need no one spying on me in the name of corona everywhere i go every turn i turn i ain't backing no wrong or condoling any wrong but say instance i have a wife and I need to go outside and thief peace for my next lady. I supposed to just trust Bill Gates, Bluetooth app, monitor me. So when I go to link a friend and I would like to smoke a joint in privacy, I should just trust Bill Gates. Isn't that just lovely? We should all put our faith in Bill Gates. I don't know what you think. Text me. Give me a call. Uh, and so anything that reduces the probability of extinction, of losing those 10,000 trillion lives uh, by even a little bit, uh, has a lot of uh, expected value. OK, now these are, that's a very small number. One ten trillion, and it's hard to uh, you know know if you're making that big of or if you're making less of an effect than that. It it looks close to zero. Um, the numbers aren't meant to be taken too seriously. They're more uh, think heuristics, right? They they illustrate that uh, if you give value to the future, um, you really want to worry about anything that poses a, a risk of extinction. And one thing that I and others uh, and and one group I'll note is the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, have identified as a risk to the future is artificial intelligence. Uh, before telling you about the risk, I'm going to first tell you about what, what's up with AI uh, these days. So for a long time, uh, artificial intelligence uh, consisted of what we would now call good old-fashioned AI. There was a programmer who wrote if-then statements. Uh, you're trying to encode some idea of what was a good behavior uh, that was meant to be automated. Uh, so for example, chess, chess algorithms, you would have a chess master say, here are the heuristics I use. Here's the value function. Uh, you put it in a, a machine. The machine runs it reliably and, and more quickly than a human can do. And that's uh, sort of you know, an effective algorithm. Uh, but it turns out good old-fashioned AI just couldn't hack a number of problems, even simple ones that we do uh, in an instant, like recognizing faces, images, and other things. More recently, what's um, sort of taken over is what's called machine learning. This is uh, what it sounds like, machines learning for themselves solutions to problems. Other terms for this are deep learning. That's especially uh, flexible machine learning. Um, you can think of it as just a flexible optimization procedure. It's, it's, it's an algorithm that's just trying to find a solution and has a lot of parameters. Uh, and neural networks is another term you've probably heard. OK, so this is showing uh, basically the breakthrough uh, recently in um, image classification uh, arising from neural networks uh, and the year-on-year-on-year year on year improvements 
to the point where now machines are better than humans at image classification. Another domain is generalized game playing or arcade game playing. Here are Atari games. Probably not many of us have played these. Uh, DeepMind has built uh, a machine. DeepMind's a, a leading AI group within Google uh, that learned to play Atari games at a superhuman level with no instruction, anything, no, you know, an effective algorithm. Uh, but it turns out good old fashioned AI just couldn't hack a number of problems, even simple ones that we do uh, in an instant, like recognizing faces and other things. More recently, what's um, sort of taken over, uh, you put it in a, a machine, the machine runs it reliably and, and more quickly than a human can do. And that's uh, sort of you know, an effective algorithm. Uh, but it turns out good old fashioned AI just couldn't hack a number of problems, even simple ones that we do uh, in an instant, like recognizing faces, images, and other things. More. So as he's basically shown you, there's a fault with their AI robots. They cannot easily do face recognition like a human and others, which we don't need to go to Harvard and Hale to know that. We don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that because it was all made by men. Yeah, by men. This goes just to show you one more example of the world conspiracy, deep elite state at work. Just doesn't get better than that. Recently, what's um, sort of taken over is what's called machine learning. This is uh, what it sounds like, machines learning for themselves solutions to problems. Uh, and other terms for this are deep learning. That's especially uh, flexible machine learning. Um, you can think of it as just a flexible optimization procedure. It's, it's, it's an algorithm that's just trying to find a solution and has a lot of parameters. Uh, and neural networks is another term you've probably heard. OK, so this is showing uh, basically the breakthrough uh, recently in um, image classification. Uh, arising from neural networks uh, and the year on year on year on year improvements to the point where now machines are better than humans at image classification. So there you have one more example. Is in which they are trying to show us <laughs> their main their main goal and alternative is to replace human being most of us on earth with AI, artificial intelligent robots. Replace most of the people in the world, in the work sectors, manufacturing, restaurants, hotels, farming, many other areas. Their plan is to total control world conspiracy. They don't believe in no God. These guys believe they are 
the garden. They want people to die in great numbers to carry out their new world order, world conspiracy plot. And if you doubt me, I'll share something with you. Check this out. What would happen if every human being on Earth disappeared? This isn't the story of how we might vanish. What would happen? So I just pause to show you, you see, they even have plans in store already. What if all humans are most vanish? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ain't these guys good? World conspiracy. If every human being on earth what would happen if every human being on earth disappeared this isn't the story of how we might vanish it's the story of what happens to the world we leave behind now on life after people what happens when nature is left unchecked Animals, once protected by humans, are attacked by a deadly pandemic. Others break out and run wild. Stealthy enemies are on the march. Attacking cities around the world, like this one in the heart of the United States. When nature attacks, the bigger things are, the harder they fall. Welcome to Earth. Population zero. One day after people, those responsible for keeping the forces of nature under control have vanished. Nature, long contained, is poised for an outbreak of violence and chaos, disease and disaster. In Chicago, there is no one to maintain the baseball stadium. Its ultimate opponent is already embedded in the outer wall. Its ultimate opponent is already embedded in the outer wall. One day after people, those responsible for keeping the forces of nature under control have vanished. Nature, long contained, is poised for an outbreak of violence and chaos, disease 
and disaster. In Chicago, there is no one to maintain the baseball stadium. Its ultimate opponent is already embedded in the outer wall. There's no one to maintain the Sears Tower or the John Hancock Center now standing like giant tombstones. And no one to manage the Chicago River, one of the most heavily engineered waterways in the world. As each day passes, nature begins taking over. Three days after people. A rainstorm hits Chicago. In the time of humans, such a deluge would have been unremarkable. The Chicago River should flow into Lake Michigan, a massive body of water bordering the city. But in 1900, man turned on nature. The river's flow was reversed to prevent pollution of Chicago's drinking water, leaving man in firm control of water levels and employing engineering techniques that were later used in building the Panama Canal. In the time of humans, whenever it rained, river engineers managed the canal locks and sluice gates to divert the current away from the lake. But now, after more than a century, the river takes its revenge. In a life without people, we wouldn't be able to anticipate such an event and open gates to manipulate the water levels. The entire river system would fill up gradually, just like water in a bathtub. Initially, it would flood low areas in downtown Chicago and the basements of buildings along the river. Soon, the high river levels begin surging south along the man-made channels towards the gates of the controlling works, 35 miles downstream. The 109-year-old complex controls the drainage of the Chicago River. But that's all about to change. The cascade of water dropping on the downstream side would erode the piers holding the gates up the days when man controlled this river are over. There's about 10 to 20 billion gallons of water behind these gates. And when that structure collapses, that wall of water would send a torrent down the Des Plaines River to the city of Joliet, where it would overtop the river walls and flood the center city. Just days after people, entire towns in America's Midwest are wiped out by raging water. In London, time has run out for Big Ben. The clock behind me has been working continuously for 150 years now. And that's taken it through extremes of weather, storms, the London Blitz during the Second World War. 
In the time of humans, the clock had to be wound three times a week, a task that took two royal clock mechanics several hours to complete with the aid of an electric motor. If there are no people around, within a matter of days, the clock will stop working for the first time in 150 years and the chimes will stop chiming. The clock stops, but the tower remains, at least for now. Due to a construction quirk, it has always leaned 8.6 inches to the northwest. A lean that will get worse over time. Two weeks after people. So, as you can see, they even draw up a stimulation showing you days after people. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. All part of a world conspiracy plot. World after humans gone. Wow. These, these are the things they want us to accept. They need us to believe what they are showing us. They want us to believe what they are saying is true. Rich, it's not true. It's all part of the deep state elite machine. World conspiracy. To keep the people eyes blindfolded from the truth. So they make up diversion stories to divert us from the truth. The truth is, millions of people are starving, dying. These people sit on the resources, control, the World Bank. All these networks and channels to help people. And they help not the people. They keep on continue, continuously telling us resources is getting short. So basically, they need a certain amount of people to die. You just don't get any better than that. That's what they are trying to sugarcoat it, cover up with icing, all different things to divert us from the truth. It's a world conspiracy plot. And you are listening to the World Conspiracy Talk Show on Conspiracy Radio up in Castbox. And I want to say shout out to all of my listeners who join in. Please remember to leave a like, comment, 
And please remember to follow me. The most interesting program on the whole internet. And World Conspiracy Show. Talk show. We enlighten people to the truth. Which is hidden in plain sight. Right in their eyes. And world conspiracy we deal with facts. Not marks. And I am going to open your eyes. To part of the world. Conspiracy cover up. By the deep state and the elite. And if you doubt me, or if you disbelieve, you need to check this one out. I know this one is a very interesting one, and this one will leave all my listeners curious. This one is called Coca-Cola, and it is on the World Conspiracy talk show so without further delay here we go our film begins in hawaii in the middle of the pacific ocean in spite of the island's remote location it has also fallen victim to the epidemic of the 21st century plastic Plastic pollution is littering beaches and endangering certain species of animals, no matter how remote or out of reach. In this laboratory in the north of the archipelago, scientists study marine animals, not plastic, at least in theory. No idea what that is, <laughs> but it's certainly plastic. Jessica Perelman is a biologist. Accustomed to finding plastic in fish stomachs, she has started a very unique collection. Occasionally we'll find plastic bags. And this was all coiled up in the stomach when I found it. I had no idea what it was until I unfolded it and just... How did you react when you find this in the stomach? I was shocked. I started, you know, documenting it and measuring it, taking photos, showing whoever else was around in the lab. And we were kind of, we were just, you know, shocked to think that, that these fish are, are really ingesting this. I mean. So you can see. There you go. So the plastic bottles that Coca-Cola and the rest of company continuously making end up polluting the sea, end up in the fish's belly. I think there's a lot more they haven't shared with us. Like, question number one, 
is many sickness that the people have sometimes. Is there any, any evidence with plastic-related digestion by fish or animals? I would like to know. Because sometimes these doctors and scientists, these guys know the truth, but they won't say it. It's all part of a world conspiracy. But listen to the tape. And I will leave you to decide for yourself. And if anything, you can text and leave a message. Give me a like or a comment. And please remember to follow me or share the program. It's World Conspiracy Talk Show. Here we go. Light. begins in Hawaii, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. In spite of the island's remote location, it has also fallen victim to the epidemic of the 21st century, plastic. Plastic pollution is littering beaches and endangering certain species of animals, no matter how remote or out of reach. laboratory in the north of the archipelago, scientists study marine animals, not plastic, at least in theory. I have no idea what that is, but it's certainly plastic. Jessica Perelman is a biologist. Accustomed to finding plastic in fish stomachs, she has started a very unique collection. Occasionally we'll find plastic bags and this was all coiled up in the stomach when I found it. I had no idea what it was until I unfolded it and just... How did you react when you find this in the stomach? I was shocked. I started, you know, documenting it, measuring it, taking photos, showing whoever else was around in the lab and we were kind of, we were just, you know, shocked to think that, that these fish are, are really ingesting this. I mean, to her disbelief, the scientist has found plastic in an unlikely specimen known as the lancet fish. The young researcher was not expecting such a surprising discovery when she began her work on this species. These fish live at a depth of about 200 to 1400 meters uh, and they're clearly you know, coming in contact with plastic and it appears that plastic is, is truly a deeper problem than we might have imagined. Even swimming at these depths, the lancet fish manages to swallow trivial plastic objects. I mean, occasionally you might find a, a brand name such as this Dasani bo bottle label. Um, what is this? So this is, this is a label from a water bottle uh, Dasani bottle, clearly, and um, found amongst the lands at their stomach. Is it a famous brand, Dasani? Dasani, yeah. Dasani is a pretty well-known uh, bottled water company. You know, finding finding labels such as this in the stomachs makes it then easy to determine where it, you know, where it may have originated. 
There's always more to things than just what you see. And Dasani is much more than just water in a bottle. In fact, Dasani is one of the world's best-selling bottled water brands. And if you're not familiar with Dasani, you will certainly know the name of the group behind it, the Coca-Cola Company. Okay, I just want to say shout out to my good friend, Jama Rock. Okay, Jama, big up yourself, my brother. So there's go one more of the world conspiracy plot. They are showing you some different offside companies that Coca-Cola have shares and that Coca-Cola run in how they spread their world conspiracy, globalism, having their plastic dumping all over the world, fishes and animals eating, sicking the people. Doctors, scientists know the truth, but no one willing to talk. All part of a world conspiracy plot. But here we go again. You know, finding finding. Is it a famous brand, Dasani? Dasani, yeah, Dasani is a pretty well-known uh, bottled water company. You know, finding finding labels such as this in the stomachs makes it then easy to determine where it, you know, where it may have originated. There's always more to things than just what you see, and Dasani is much more than just water in a bottle. In fact, Dasani is one of the world's best-selling bottled water brands. And if you're not familiar with Dasani, you will certainly know the name of the group behind it, the Coca-Cola Company. Everyone knows Coca-Cola, but not everyone necessarily knows that the group is in charge of dozens of other brands. Dasani is part of the Coca-Cola company and Sprite too. There is also Minute Maid, Powerade, and of course, Fanta, one of the company's flagship brands. Every year, the group sells more than 120 billion bottles across the globe. That's almost 4,000 bottles a second, and this mass production is creating a devastating mass pollution. In January 2018, the multinational made a bold announcement. By 2030, the brand is promising a world without waste. And it's James Quincy, Coca-Cola's CEO, who is leading the movement. What we need to create is the circular economy. We need to create value for that. It's absolutely doable. A world without waste, thanks to unlimited plastic recycling. But how reliable are the promises of this multinational? Can recycling really make this problem go away? Coca-Cola and plastic have a long-standing relationship and one that is full of surprises. To find out more, we traveled to the United States to meet a man who was well informed on the subject. He lives in this small house in Virginia. 
Hi guys. Hello, Bart. Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yes. Welcome to uh, Virginia. Coming Thank down you. It's difficult way. to find. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, I hope, uh, I hope the driver's good. Yeah, well, come on in, come on in. Yeah. Bart Elmore is a historian. He's the author of a book about Coca-Cola. A bestseller, it retraces the multinational's entire environmental strategy, particularly from the 60s onwards, when plastic began to revolutionize consumer society. We began to see massive amounts of litter piling up around the, uh, the country. Coca-Cola tried to respond to this. Wow, we're getting blamed for all this aluminum waste and all this ultimately plastic waste. What do we do? And one of the things they did was partner with an organization called Keep America Beautiful. When you hear Keep America Beautiful, you think like, wow, this sounds like an organization started by a bunch of kind of bearded environmentalists, or at least that's what I thought. Um, you know, because we see this sign everywhere in the United States, it's still a very present organization. But it was founded, surprisingly, by the beverage brewing and canning and packaging industries Right? The idea was that let's tell consumers, they're the bad ones, they're the litter bugs, they're throwing this away. Industry shouldn't be blamed for all this waste. And so this Native American, looking like a character from an old Western, makes the Keep America Beautiful a huge success. Some people have a deep abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And this guy throws, uh, in his car, he throws this packaging waste down at his feet. And then and this great cameraman you know, lifts the camera up towards the, the crying Indian's face. And there's a tear. And this narrator comes on the screen and says, People start pollution. People can stop it. People start pollution. People can stop it. Right? And it's this message of consumers are the problem, right? Not us industry, but consumers are. There you had it. One more example of the deep state elite world conspiracy. So, so Coca-Cola turn out at least 4,000 buckle per minute. Yet, they are not responsible for their product. It's the people who is unresponsible. That's what Coca-Cola is trying to say. Ain't it ironic? It is all part of a world conspiracy, global plot. Meanwhile, fishes, animals keep digesting this plastic, keep sicking the people. Doctors won't tell you the truth. Scientists won't speak. On this particular topic, it is all part of a world conspiracy plot to keep the people eyes blindfolded from the truth and what is the truth 
the truth is coca-cola products have been sicking and killing people for years okay since the success of this advert in the u.s in the 70s keep america beautiful has branched out now there are organizations throughout the world designed using the exact same model and always backed by the company with the red and white logo. To understand how Coca-Cola is recycling its reliable old consumer guilt technique, we have to go to Versailles, not to the chateau, but to an event that is being held at the town hall. It is an important conference with several elected officials from all over Europe. They're here to speak about the cleanliness of their towns. To conclude the meeting, the guest of honour makes a speech. This time, it's the director of Keep Scotland Beautiful, an association partly financed by Coca-Cola, like Keep America Beautiful. And it seems Derek Robertson is a fan of soda. Listen closely. Some of his slip-ups are extremely telling. I have the great privilege of working for an organisation in Scotland and also in part of the European one that gives a, gives a, 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 a I was going to say, but doesn't care. We do care, and we want to try and change the behaviour of individuals. We want people to start thinking about civic pride, the personal responsibilities that they should take. Emphasising individual rather than collective responsibility, clearly nothing has changed since the advertisement of the Native American crime. I've seen that you, you were drinking Coca-Cola this morning. Is a single-use bottle plastic a, a problem today? Plastic and plastic packaging has a very useful function in society, and we need to we need to remember that the products are very creative, they are very very useful, and they obviously perform a function that's important. It's how we again as individuals dispose of these packages. So, uh, Coca-Cola, for example, want their packaging back. They want to be able to get it back and recycle it and reuse it. Uh, what we don't want is uh, in the environment. According to the head of an association which claims to fight against pollution. Coca-Cola is supposedly the example to follow, but does he admit to being financed by the American multinational? We asked the question a few minutes later. Uh, who is financing your uh, charity? Nobody finances a charity. Nobody finances your charity? What, what do you want to do here? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm asking you. These are legitimate journalist questions. Right, so my, my organization in Scotland is my day job, okay? I'm fundamentally full-time committed to that role. I volunteer my time, okay? And I work in partnership with the Scottish Government, with Scottish municipalities, and they hire our expertise. And some companies? And some companies, yeah. Like? How long would you want? Loads of them. Coca-Cola, H&M, McDonald's, Redwoods, Starbucks. Lots of, lots of big brand names. We had to insist. Since the 60s, Coca-Cola has been paving the way for other multinationals. But what if the soda giant really had decided to change? 
A few months ago, upon launching its program for a world without waste, the company announced a set of very ambitious measures to resolve the plastic pollution problem. For Coca-Cola, the solution is recycling. The concept is simple, collect used bottles to make new ones out of them. Coca-Cola promises to put 50% recycled plastic in its bottles by 2030, and that's on a global scale. It's absolutely doable. There's a model there for the Chinas and other parts of the world on how to create value out of plastic and get it reused. Of course, that would be great news. But with all that we have learned about the company's strategies, we wanted to check how often they actually keep their promises. The American company has been promising to make bottles out of recycled plastic for years. Take the year 2008, for example. In its report on sustainable development, Coca-Cola announced that it wanted to put 25% recycled plastic in all of its bottles by 2015. For a long time, we sought to find any trace of this in the report from 2015. The company never clearly states whether or not their promise was kept. We end up finding a single figure, 12.4%. At first glance, it's easy to believe that this is the percentage of recycled plastic used by Coca-Cola. But after taking a closer look, 12.4% turns out to be the total percentage of recycled and renewable materials used. The problem is that recycled and renewable plastic are two very different things. To decrypt the soda giant's jargon, we arranged a meeting with an NGO that has been interested in the Coca-Cola group for a long time. Hélène Bourges is a specialist in ocean pollution, and she's going to explain how the multinational twists words and statistics. The plastic that Coca-Cola calls renewable is made from plants, such as cornstarch. So they label it as plant bottle, with a green bottle logo and a leaf. But no matter the type of plastic, the impact is the same. Renewable plastic is essentially plastic made from a plant base, but it's still plastic and therefore it's still bad for the environment. That clears up the words, now let's move on to the statistics. So it's not 12.4% recycled plastic? No, it doesn't mean that. We have written proof from Coca-Cola explaining to us in an email that in reality, they only use 7% recycled plastic, in spite of the fact that their goal for 2015 was 25%. We are clearly very far from the target. From the NGO's point of view, Coca-Cola's recycling targets are first and foremost a marketing ploy to ensure that the consumer keeps buying their plastic bottles. Companies that use enormous amounts of plastic see recycling as a solution that they can sell to the public. But the problem is that recycling is not the whole solution. We have reached such a high level of complex plastic production that recycling cannot serve as the only solution. It's just not possible. 
Coca-Cola's subtle statistical distortions are bad, but the worst is yet to come. We uncovered something far worse in this envelope, which contains dozens of letters and internal records from Coca-Cola. These documents should have remained confidential, but they were published anonymously on the internet a few months ago. Amidst the mess of information, this document caught our attention. It's dated from 2016 and signed by the Coca-Cola's lobbying manager in Brussels. The bullet points are all the measures that Europe could adopt, but which do not coincide with Coca-Cola's interests. In the mix, we find carbon price restrictions on the usage of caffeine and EU ban of advertising to children under 12. In other words, anything that could lower the company's turnover figure. On the right, there's a circle entitled Fight Back. These are all the European measures that Coca-Cola has decided to fight against through lobbying. So, as you can see, one more example of the deep state, elite, world conspiracy, Coca-Cola and folks. Yeah, Coca-Cola and folks. What's up, Doc? These guys continue to brainwash the mass of the people. When anytime things go wrong, they blame it on the people. It's all part of a world conspiracy. Yeah. And we are about to wrap this up. But first, I have to take a quick one again. On a world conspiracy talk show. Conspiracy radio up in cast box. Okay. With the volatility in global markets now, what should I do with my investment? Make a quick ads from Scotiabank. Before you do anything, however, I recommend that you ask yourself these pertinent questions. Is your portfolio sufficiently diversified? Meaning, do you have too much of one thing, too little of something else? Have you reached your investment goal? President Donald Trump has a clear objective in Venezuela, regime change. Since taking office, he has employed diplomatic and economic pressure on Caracas, but the strategy has failed to deliver a breakthrough. Now, the idea of military intervention in the oil-rich South American nation is gaining momentum. President Donald Trump So, as we see and heard one more example of the deep state elite world conspiracy, war drums beat in Washington, warmongering is there going to be a war between venezuela and america world conspiracy has a clear objective president donald trump has a clear objective in venezuela regime change since taking office he has employed diplomatic and economic pressure on caracas but the strategy has failed to deliver a breakthrough now the idea of military intervention in the oil-rich south american nation is gaining momentum in the pentagon 
Trump even went on record to say that the U.S. military could easily topple Nicolas Maduro and that all options are on the table. Even though the possibility of military involvement in Venezuela remains unlikely, the odds are higher than they have been at any moment.